Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. Today, our guest is Dr. John Ravel, Professor of Rheumatology at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. He has 46 years of experience in the rheumatology community, and he is going to join us today to talk about medication options for the treatment of spondyloarthritis. He is also a very valued member of the Spondylitis Association of America's board, and I am grateful for his time. Dr. Ravel, how are you today? Very good. By the way, I've actually been on the board since 1987. Wow. I was on the very initial board. We are, uh, you've added a lot to this community. I have no doubt through that work and all your other work. Uh, I, I was easy on you with the bio, so I didn't go into the, the deep That's details, uh, but you have a lifetime of working with uh, spondyloarthritis patients. And we're going to talk a little bit about medication today, which is one of your favorite topics, I know. So let's just talk really quickly. Uh, the definition or what is spondyloarthritis and common symptoms? Uh, spondyloarthritis is, is an inflammatory disease that affects the spine, but also other parts of the body, such as the joints, the emphases where muscles and tendons attach to bones, uh, the eyes, uh, and, and in, in some patients, the skin, the, the intestines, and the heart and lungs. And what are the current medication options for patients out there for treatment of spondyloarthritis? Well, uh, I think leading the group of medications uh, are the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs. Uh, two of the most typical over-the-counter ones you'll encounter, for example, would be uh, naproxen uh, or uh, ibuprofen. Sure, I've seen a lot of bottles of those in my lifetime. Uh, what are you hoping to achieve when you do move from an NSAID to the next stage of a medication? Well, uh, let me start by saying that uh, in my very uh, extensive experience, including having a cohort uh, of nearly 1,300 uh, AS patients, the, the SOAS cohort that we've been following for over 20 years, uh, that 50% of patients with uh, axial spondyloarthritis or ankylosing spondylitis uh, can be well controlled with non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs alone. Wow. 50%. Uh, but about 50% won't be, and they're the ones that are gonna go on to, to some of these uh, uh, other medications, some biologic medications, some other medications called small molecule inhibitors, or in those patients who have just uh, mainly disease in their joints, uh, uh, drugs like sulfasalazine. Okay. So what, what are the goals as you're treating someone for spondyloarthritis and the different, in the different medication classes? Well, the, the, the number one goal is to control inflammation because that's, that's, that's what, that's what drives the disease. Uh, and, and associated therefore with that would be uh, uh, controlling also the pain and impairment that the patient feels. Uh, another important 
goal is to get the patient able to function better, functional uh, improving functional impairment that is associated with axial spinal arthritis and commotion spondylitis. And then thirdly, to prevent structural damage, i.e. fusion of the spine or destruction of the joints. So it, talk to me a little bit about the, we talked about NSAIDs, then you've got biologics. What other buckets of medications do we have? Well, the, 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 as far in the biologic category, but not biologics are drugs uh, called small molecule inhibitors. Uh, the one that is most commonly uh, and uh, used and has been approved by the FDA are the Janus kinase or JAK inhibitors. Uh, and there are currently two JAK inhibitors uh, that, are improved, that are approved for treatment uh, of axial spinal arthritis. And that is uh, Celgans uh, as well as Rimvoke. And what do they, what do the JAK inhibitors do that the other medications previously couldn't achieve? Well, it, it, each one of the groups of medications, the, 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 the two kinds of biologic medications, the, the, uh, they target specific molecules uh, in the immune system. Uh, so the, the, uh, uh, the anti-TNF medications, which are the ones that the biologics that were out first, will target the uh, tumor necrosis factor. Uh, the the IL-17 inhibitors will target interleukin-17, uh, and and there are currently two and soon to be three uh, of those that are out there. And then finally, the JAK inhibitors uh, in are they different than these because uh, each one of the there are actually lots of JAK inhibitors that are under development, but there are two that have been approved, and there are four different kinds of JAK molecules: JAK1, JAK2, JAK3. And another jack inhibitor called a jack called TIC2, tyrosine kinase 2. Uh, and and uh, each one of those four are targeted in a lesser or, or greater way by these various jack inhibitors. But what's important to know is that unlike the TNF inhibitors and unlike the IL-17 inhibitors, each of the jack inhibitors will actually targets the jack pathway in a, in a slightly different way. So so each one is sort of unique in, in its approach. So a different way to get down the road. Exactly. Okay. Uh, beyond the goals for treatment, do people experience side effects, and what are they uh, from some of the medications, and how do how do patients go about managing those side effects? Like I said, I've been around for a long time, and I, when I was a young doctor, uh, uh, and when all we really had to treat uh, spinal arthritis. Were non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. I very, very frequently was seeing patients admitted to the hospital because of gastrointestinal bleeding, bleeding ulcers, gastritis, and the like. Of course, we've had now medications, uh, 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 the H2 blockers, the the, uh, the, the, the the proton pump inhibitors that that uh, have almost wiped that out. They've made that very, very rare. But gastrointestinal bleeding was one of the most noted side effect of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. There's also a controversial uh, uh, weak link to cardiovascular disease in non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And in fact, people with, with uh, established or bad cardiovascular disease probably should not take non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Also, people with kidney, with kidney problems, whose kidneys may not be working very well, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs can actually make the kidneys uh, work less well. Uh, when we get to the TNF blockers, of course, 
they all these newer medications really suppress the immune system and so you worry about infections and so with tnf inhibitors for example uh you worry about tuberculosis uh or other uh uh and uh, uh, mycobacterial diseases that relate to tuberculosis such as uh, uh, uh atypical mycobacterial infections or even leprosy which is another mycobacterial disease which i have encountered in one of my patients who got a TNF blocker. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, well, th this is East Texas, so it, <laughs> leprosy's endemic here. They're not gonna get it anywhere else in the United States. Uh, and and uh, with, with, with um, IL-17 blockers, uh, uh, with a, a particular note is that um, uh, they, they uh, uh, can be complicated by fungal infections. Uh, and jack inhibitors, uh, the most the infection we worry the, the, the most is is shingles, herpes zoster, uh, which and jack inhibitors can trigger that. Uh, that said, uh, uh, so each one of these different groups of medications have different infectious problems that we worry about. But but uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, 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 we, you know we we can be vigilant. We can screen for those up front. And I, I look, I've run the county HIV clinic for the past 30 years, and I use all these drugs in patients with HIV who have asthma or arthritis without oh, wow. any concerns. That's amazing. And are there some mild short-term side effects that people might experience when they start taking a new medication? Well, uh, again, it depends on the, on the medication, but uh, uh, I know injection site reactions, like a, some inflammation around where the patient injects the medication. Uh, is, a, is a noteworthy one. Would they, uh, some of the, uh, the drugs that were particularly noteworthy to cause that, uh, salts such as adalimumab, which is Humira, but now biosimilars are coming out, or TALS, which is excusimab, uh, have been reformulated. So that is, is, is a significantly less problem. But that, that's, that's one notable uh, thing that we might see. Uh, those, are, those are probably the, the main ones. Uh, there's increased frequency of colds and the like uh, with that. There are concerns with TNF blockers about uh, a, a, a possible increase in skin cancers, not the melanoma kind that can kill you, but the regular skin cancers you get being out in the sun. Uh, there, uh, there's there's a, a slight increase in that. Uh, uh, and, and then there is the, a questionable, and I mean really questionable, uh, link of TNF inhibitors to lymphoma. To other cancers that we, don't, we just have not seen it, and even in, 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 in with the link of TNF blockers to lymphoma, it's primarily seen in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, with the IL-17 blockers, there, we, we're not aware of, of any link to any cancers, same can be said with JAK inhibitors. Of course, the one concern about JAK inhibitors uh, is, is whether or not there's an increased frequency of blood clots uh, with that. But in general, is it safe to say the evidence points to the medications for spondyloarthritis being generally safe for most people? Resoundingly safe and well tolerated. Uh, resoundingly. I mean, I mean, I mean uh, in fact, my patients who for some reason were scared to take it and finally did, they usually say, why did I wait so long? Uh, so if they need it, they should get them. Uh, uh, look, um, uh, just like in my patients who are arthritis, these are different diseases today than what I was encountering 40, 45 years ago. Uh, very, you know, when we saw a lot more fused spines, we know that, for example, the use of TNF inhibitors can slow down the rate of spinal fusion. We know that, and, and other radiographic damage. 
So, uh, so if you're in that 50% of patients with AS who will need uh, more than just a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which by the way, in themselves, uh, uh, at least some of them uh, seem to, to slow down spinal fusion. But if you're in that 50% who needs more than that, you should really go on to these drugs. Yeah. You know, you just made me think I was on vacation last week and I was sitting on the beach talking about Spondycast with someone I randomly met. And I said, well, I do have spondylitis. And she's, she, the first thing she did, she was a physician. The first thing she did was she paused. She turned and looked at my back and she said, but you don't look like you have spondylitis. And I didn't think women really got spondylitis. Well, it's true that this is a sexist disease, yeah. Yeah. but it's, it's a sexist because, because women are equally impaired uh, and have as much as these activity and pain as men do, but uh, they are, are, are much less likely to go on to spinal fusion. Yeah. But my, and my thought was, I probably don't have as much damage as I might have had I not take, started taking my own version of my own treatment course. Uh, okay. So interactions with other medications and supplements. Oh yeah. Well, I'm boy, glad you had, yeah. So I, I'm not a big fan of supplements, but I, okay. I do, I do take my turmeric gummies every day. They're delicious by the way. <laughs> you don't take turmeric with your biologics because it's the only, it's the only supplement that really does anything that's been shown to do anything. And, and one of the things that it does, it'll block the effect of your biologic. So if you're taking turmeric and you're on a biologic, like especially a TNF blocker, stop the turmeric. Okay. That's a, that's, that's a big, important thing to know. Uh, now interactions with other medications. Um, well, uh, let's, the, there, there is some issues with Jack inhibitors and vaccines. Uh, you need to stop the, the Jack inhibitor one week before you get your, your any vaccine, by the way, one week before you get a vaccine shot and one, and for one week after. Otherwise, your the effect of the vaccine will be blunted. Um, uh, certainly, there's all kinds of side uh, interactions with um, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents and variety of medications, most notably with anticoagulants. Um, the the uh, um, there are there are concerns, but I think we're moving beyond that about combining biologics. But I think people are doing that more and more now. Uh, uh, the little data that we have suggests that that on the one hand there's no, no added safety signals by doing so, but on the other hand there's also no real evidence of added benefits. Huh. Okay, that's an interesting one. I will pick that one for another one because I'd like to explore that. I. Uh, do you see there are common misconceptions or understandings about some of the treatments associated with spinal arthritis? Um, I think I think people get too get too worried about the fact that their 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 immunosuppressive nature as well as the link to cancer. That there and first of all, there is no link to cancer. Uh, I've had a number of patients. We're we're in Houston. And MD Anderson Cancer Center is is uh, right across the street from us. And when we we get patients who are on TNF blockers and come down with a cancer for other reasons, uh, and they go to MD Anderson, they never stop the biologic. Okay, because the 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 uh, the, the uh, uh, I, even one patient who was was on uh, TNF blockers for years did a mine did develop lymphoma. Uh, he was back on his TNF blocker within four months of his public going remission. That was 10 years ago. He is still on his TNF blocker today and his lymphoma never came back. 
Oh, wow. Okay. That's fantastic though. Right. Hearing like the resounding safety as you, to use your uh, word. It, it, they, they're very well tolerated. Uh, they, they are somewhat immunosuppressive. Again, I use it in my HIV population, except for the very advanced uh, patients and, and have seen no difficulties. I've treated over 30 patients uh, with, with these uh, HIV patients with, with these. And, and uh, so the, the, the effect on that, they're only weakly immunosuppressive. That's one thing that people are scared about when we're talking about doing it. Of course, there's the whole expense issue and that, 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 that's, the, that's, we, you say that's for another, uh, another program, but uh, the cost has gone way up. Like Humira, when it came out in 2005, was 15,000 a year. Now it's 60 to 80,000 a year. And really all the other drugs have followed suit. Wow, that may be a whole nother episode or two. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about benefits and risks. So NSAIDs, we talked about. Uh, heart disease and kidney disease are always concerned. The, the whole the whole issue with with uh, uh, Vioxx in 2004 was basically a uh, 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 house of cards because uh, uh, the, 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 the link to heart disease is very weak there. The drug should have never been pulled. And a lot of patients uh, were very hurt by, by that happening. Uh, there is a drug in, in, uh, that's used everywhere else in the world called Arcoxia, otherwise known as Atoracoxib, that is a, spe a specific coxib inhibitor that's very effective. The only one that we can get in this country is Celecoxib, uh, which is uh, the Pfizer version of that is known as, as Celebrex. Uh, uh, and, and there's a weak link to heart disease, and we don't want to use those in people with advanced heart disease. We also don't want to be using uh, those medications in people who have, have borderline kidney function because they, they can make things worse, uh, although it's only a transient effect. Uh, with uh, that, 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 and of course, they can still cause GI upset. Probably the most frequent reason for discontinuing uh, 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 non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs is the fact that the patient had a lot of GI upset with it. Uh, with with some of these other uh, uh, medications, with with uh, with TNF blockers, uh, uh, like I said, the the main the main concern is, is would be a, uh, a link to infection. Uh, I have a couple patients who have ankylosis spondylitis and lupus both. You would not want to use a TNF blocker in that setting because the uh, the TNF blocker can actually make things worse. Also, patients with heart failure, you got to be very cautious about giving them a TNF blocker because uh, that can likewise uh, make the heart failure worse. So, so, so those, those are concerns as far as TNF blockers are concerned. Uh, okay. with, the, with the interleukin-17 inhibitors, uh, it, they may actually worsen uh, patients with Crohn's disease or also colitis. And so we use those drugs with extreme caution, uh, the IL-17 inhibitors uh, and, and, and patients who have that. Uh, I've already talked about the the, the uh, venous thrombosis issue in JAK inhibitors, and I think a patient who has a, a tendency towards that, you're you're going to going to be uh, very careful about that. Okay, and then in terms of the different styles of medications, how long do they take to start working? And <laughs> virtually uh, the biologics virtually overnight. It's, it's virtually overnight, but we, 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 we tend to see the full effect within four weeks, but they, they work very quickly. Uh, uh, we, that, that can be said for the TNF, uh, really with all of them, within four weeks, uh, we are definitely seeing 
uh, an effect, uh, um, almost full effect by that stage. But you see, you tend to see the effect of medications right away, especially for the ones the ones that are infusible, like uh, infliximab or or uh, uh, galimumab, uh, uh, the ones that that are given IV. I mean, we, we see effects within hours. I would concur on uh, my own experience. Uh, and what about so NSAIDs? obviously work pretty quickly on the pain piece. Uh, is that, are NSAIDs something you'd want to continue taking on a regular basis or just when you have pain? Uh, if you have active, we, we know that if you have active AS, that, that, that patients who take NSAIDs on a scheduled basis, let, let's say, let's say uh, uh, they're, they're, they're taking uh, 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 a leave, which is over the counter. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, they, they, they should be taking it twice a day. Uh, I usually have them take two more tablets in the morning and two tablets at night or leave. Uh, and we do that it, it, with the disease active. If the disease is not active, uh, take them uh, on an on-demand basis, i.e. when the patient feels a little bit uh, uh, less well is perfectly acceptable. And in fact, within the guidelines that we use. Okay. Uh, are there any general do's and don'ts when it comes to medication use? Well, uh, uh, good question. Uh, try to take them uh, as, as prescribed, uh, obviously. Now, sometimes we need for certain patients, especially, for example, those that have inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease, where they have to take a little higher dose or more frequently than we ordinarily uh, would. But for the most part, you should be taking as prescribed. Some people, on the other hand, try to taper them out and they often don't have such a good uh, effect there. Uh, the, the, uh, certainly, uh, uh, it's not a good idea to inject your medication right out of the refrigerator because uh, you want to want to let it warm up for about 30 minutes because it's going to hurt a lot more if you inject it cold. Uh, on the other hand, don't leave it out for too long or it'll lose its effect. Uh, so that's, you know, just about a half hour is, is a good amount of time to leave it out. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, jack inhibitors are pills. They they aren't injections, so that they don't matter. You, you, you know, they're going to be in your medicine cabinet. Okay. Uh, any other do's and don'ts? Uh, again, uh, make sure you're injecting it the right way. Uh, uh, a lot of times, some people prefer uh, a pen where they just press a button and it injects itself. Other some some of my patients prefer the syringe. They 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 claim that that. They don't have as good control when they use the pen. I know the first time I was demonstrating the pen on a patient, I, I, I pressed the wrong end. Oh, yeah, geez. I, I know, sore thumb. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so you do, do want to make sure you're, you're injecting it the right way. Uh, uh, the, I think, I think the, those are some of the, the, the key issues. Take it, take it as prescribed. Uh, let it warm up before you inject it. Uh, and, uh, uh, and and try to uh, try to try try not to run out because uh, or uh, because that can be a problem with this major disease flare. Most patients, unfortunately, who stop their biologic are going to have a flare, seventy percent at least. And is there a point? So when patients begin a medication or change medications, is there is it good practice for them to track symptoms? And progress, or absolutely, absolutely, uh, because we, we we want you know there, there was a 
uh, uh, it, it, actually, I was part of a panel that did a treat to target uh, uh, mode of treating spinal arthritis. And that, that, that approach is not favored, however, by the American College of Metallurgy SAA uh, treatment guidelines. Uh, when they reviewed the literature on that, they didn't feel there's good evidence for that. But nonetheless, uh, that is to try to uh, have complete control of inflammation, uh, including pain and, and, uh, and, and maximize functional uh, improvement uh, and the like. If you're not getting that, then you may not be uh, on the right medication. Or there may be other things that are causing that. Just because you have spinal arthritis doesn't mean that you can't rupture a disc or it doesn't mean that you can't have, have also osteoarthritis in your spine. In fact, most patients who have AS over time are gonna get some, also some osteoarthritis, which gets things a little bit confusing, but the symptoms are different because uh, AS pain is inflammatory pain. So it's morning stiffness, pain that improves with, with, uh, with activity. Uh, whereas uh, uh, osteoarthritis pain uh, gets worse with activity, not associated with morning sickness, um, and and NSAIDs don't work so well, I guess. So if you have a patient come in who started a new biologic or DMARD, uh, and they came in, they said, I don't think this is working. What would you look for and how can they communicate that best with not, not only you, but other healthcare providers or other rheumatologists they might have? Well, uh, one thing is the pain hasn't gotten significantly better and specifically the inflammatory pain. Again, you always have to distinguish that the pain is coming from the AS or there may be another cause because one of the most frequent reasons for treatment failure is there's something else going on. Uh, so yeah, that's the first thing you have to say, is the pain coming from the AS? Uh, blood work can help you somewhat. Uh, we have inflammatory markers. It's not perfect. We're always we're studying to see if we can find better biomarkers, but the C-reactive protein or the CEDRATE are the two best biomarkers that we look. And if the CRP is persistently high and the patient's having symptoms, that's an awfully good sign that they're getting inadequate disease control uh, with their uh, with their medication. Is there a, is there a rule of thumb on how long to stick with a medication before trying something else? Yes, uh, the, the, the guidelines are uh, at the most 12 weeks, but frankly, if I haven't seen any benefit by six weeks, I will uh, generally uh, pronounce that patient treatment failure. Okay. Uh, with all this, you mentioned there's a number of new drugs in development. How can people get involved in research whether it's becoming part of a clinical trial uh, or better understanding what's coming up? Well, well, uh, I, I think, I think the, the, uh, the SAA website will give you a lot of information along those lines uh, uh, because, I, you know, it all depends if your rheumatologist is really uh, uh, follows the, the, uh, the progress in spinal arthritis. We've done an incredible job with all the new medications that have come out, but we're still not controlling about uh, not getting adequate control, very uh, excellent control in about a third of patients. And, and so, so uh, uh, we welcome the new drugs coming out. I have seen patients who, for example, don't respond to one group of medications who do very well uh, on another. To be honest, that's more the rule than the exception. If someone hasn't responded to one, uh, usually they'll respond to something else. Uh, and if they're responding to nothing, the first two things you have to do is A, question if they really have AS. Sometimes it, it can be a little bit, uh, the diagnosis isn't always as straightforward as you'd like. 
And B, if the cause of their pain is indeed coming from spinal arthritis or perhaps coming from other causes such as uh, herniated disc or spinal stenosis or osteoarthritis. Or worse, uh, as I've certainly seen, like an infection in the spine or a fracture. So let me ask you this. You've got a, you've got a nice time set. You've been involved in this for long enough. Do you see patients from different demographic groups responding better to medication as the, as they've been including more demographic groups in, in clinical trials? Well, uh, I'd say we were having that conversation before you, you, before you, you, uh, you got on the, the, uh, uh, African-Americans had, and Africans in general with spinal arthritis have not been well studied. <clears throat> and so uh, that, that's a real issue. Uh, uh, in, in, um, I was president of the Pan-American League of Affiliated Rheumatologist Societies. One of the issues that we are dealing with then is uh, clinical trials in Latin America being complicated by a very high placebo effect. Uh, and that, that so, so uh, I think that that is a area that needs a lot of study. Most of the, of the clinical trials that are happening these days are taking place either in Eastern Europe or in Asia. Uh, but we, but uh, so, so I guess I don't have any, any good, uh, I, I don't have a good answer to that particular part of the question, but then we get into gender and, and uh, women as a rule do not respond as well as men, either in clinical trials or even or clinical practice. Uh, why that is, is not clear, but is, it's, it's one of these disparities that we deal with in the with this disease. Interesting. I'd love to unpack that some more someday. <laughs> Uh, this has been fascinating. I want to ask you, is there anything else you think is important for people to hear in this community? Well, then, I, I think, I, I think get, having an, an accurate diagnosis is, 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 is imperative. Uh, uh, and I think more and more an accurate diagnosis means getting an MRI, unless you already have structural disease that shows up on an x-ray, getting that, that pelvic, pelvic, not lumbar sacral, not lumbar sacral, pelvic MRI early on. Because once you go on, because what, what the thing that, that drives me crazy is when I can refer to a patient who has already been put on, been on biologics, they're not doing well. Uh, we, there, there, no uh, uh, MRI imaging was done early on and the x-rays are negative. Uh, because once once they go on a biologic, that MRI is altered forever, and and, and so those patients, I can't even if they're B twenty seven positive, I can't be one hundred percent sure they even have the disease if the X rays are negative and the MRI when I get it is negative. But like I said, if I haven't seen an MRI before they started biologics, all bets are off because the the uh, putting a patient on a TNF inhibitor will alter that MRI forever. How so? Um, Again, not been well studied, but we, we, we find that it can cause the bone marrow edema to go away. Uh, that it usually does. And, and, then, and, and then later on, if the pain's coming back, the, the, the bone marrow edema might not necessarily come back. Uh, that's why I always try to get an MRI early on in the course of the disease before they go on biologics. Because if, if they, that hasn't been done, they've been put on a biologic without an, an accurate diagnosis having been obtained. Now, if they have it, obvious x-ray disease then then you know they that horse is out of the barn and running down the road uh but but uh uh in, in the situation where there was two 
you know, the, classically, you, you remember, 7.5% of the white population in the United States is HLA-B27 positive, okay? Only about 1.5% actually have axial spondylarthritis. So, so, so in other words, uh, uh, four out of five, four out of five will, 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 will not have axial spondylarthritis who are B27 positive. Yet there's still a tendency, especially among non-rheumatologists, but even on some rheumatologists, if they're B27 positive and they're having pain, they, they, they treat them with biologics without getting the appropriate imaging studies or even other diagnostic studies. Oh, what a shame. Other than that, my big question is always, based on your experience, what, what do you find hopeful about the future for people with AS or spondyloarthritis? Well, I, I, uh, earlier diagnosis, more accurate diagnosis, and I think those tools are coming. Biomarkers are being uh, looked at. Things like, the, like, like what we've already published, which is looking at, 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 at a genetic profiling risk score uh, that may, in, in, in a patient with who's having symptoms, help to, uh, with, the, with the diagnosis, uh, with better imaging techniques, which perhaps PET scanning and the like. Uh, uh, so we'll, should help us get to this disease. We know that the earlier we treat, the better the outcome and the less likelihood of fusion. So I think I, I, as far as a cure is concerned, I don't know. There is a lot, we're, we're, we're doing an incredible job with certain diseases of curing them, but mainly it's infectious diseases. I don't know if we're gonna get to the point where we can cure AS, but we sure are heck of treating it a lot, lot better. And that old picture of the Canadian World War II uh, veteran where we saw progressive uh, spinal deformity over the years, we, that's a thing of the past. And, and, and we just do amazing things for patients with this disease now, including hopefully to, to keep the patient in non-radiographic disease, keep radiographic wherever we've been developing. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for your time and all the work you do in this community and also for the work that, that you do in the HIV community. That's really important work and tying those when you, I'm sure when you have HIV plus spondyloarthritis, it's just an extra load on you. So that's it's been, uh, I, I, I've been, I, I wrote my first paper, I wrote my first paper in a non-PubMed journal on HIV in September of 1981. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, the very beginning. Uh, and my first uh, published peer review paper was in 1990. Uh, that's looking at, at spondyloarthritis, so psoriatic arthritis, and, and we call it Reiter syndrome back then in the setting of HIV. And uh, 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 it's been a real, I've written many, many, many papers and book chapters and the like since. And that's been an interesting road, but it's not my primary focus. My primary focus is spondyloarthritis and a genetics thereof. And we are grateful that you took this path in life, believe me. <laughs> Um, well, I'm going to let you get back to your day and I'm sure go help someone else, but thank you so much for your time. Surely. I will, I, I will see I, you in September. I'm meeting with a student on an AS project, uh, later this afternoon. Awesome. Excellent. All right. Good, good talking to you. You too. Okay. SpondyCast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit, educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.